This is not about politics. It's not about partisanship. It's about patriotism. Welcome, patriots. Glad you could join us today. Busy day. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People-Powered Radio in Los Angeles. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, KGOE in Eureka. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, not to mention your favorite downloadable podcast sites across this globe, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. When I say us, I mean me and Desi Doyen. Yes. Hello, Desiree. Hello. Are you holding it together today? <laughs> I am managing, yes. Uh, I, this is the week, apparently, that everything, everything is happening at once. Not just a lot of stuff going on, but everything going on and at the same time. Among the uh, many things all happening at once today and this week, Donald Trump is now in Vietnam after being a draft dodger for years in order to avoid Vietnam. But now he's there in order to meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for their second nuclear summit, as we discussed in detail on yesterday's broadcast with atomic analyst Stephen Schwartz. You can download that program from bradblog.com if you missed it. Or, as I say, at your favorite podcast site, whatever that may be. At the same time, Congress is voting on Tuesday to overturn Trump's uh, pretend national emergency declaration under the National Emergencies Act in his attempt to steal money allocated by Congress for other things in order to build his southern border wall after Congress specifically said, no, you can't. No, thanks. We appreciate your request, but we're only giving you this much money. So if you want more, you'll have to wait for another time. Well, Donald Trump's not waiting. He declared a national emergency and uh, to take the money essentially from the military. As of today, under questioning in the Senate Armed Services Committee today, the top U.S. general for Homeland Security 
said that he sees no military threat coming from the southern border with Mexico, but that his focus is on, quote, very real threats from China and Russia in the north, not on the south. Uh, that was uh, Air Force General Terrence O'Shaughnessy. He told Senate lawmakers that proposed barriers along the U.S.-Mexico border could increase security against potential military threats from the South, but that there is no such military threat in the South, at least as of now. Give Donald Trump time. That, after uh, 50 former top national security officials sent a letter to Trump over the past 24 hours or so, uh, telling him that his national emergency is not justified. And several dozen former Republican lawmakers released a statement saying the same thing, warning that uh, his use of an emergency declaration was a terrible idea. So all of that is going on while the vote to block Trump's resolution in the House is moving forward on Tuesday and is uh, almost certain to pass before the night is over. The vote in the U.S. Senate, however, which under the National Emergency Act will have to take place. No filibusters allowed, by the way, in the U.S. Senate. It will have to take place within 18 days after the House passes the measure as expected on Tuesday. The vote, however, in the Senate, uh, the Republican-controlled Senate, is a bit more tenuous, but uh, that would require only four Republicans to cross the aisle to vote against Donald Trump and uh, against his national emergency declaration. So far, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Tom Tillis of North Carolina and we'll talk a little bit more about North Carolina in a moment, I suspect. Um, <laughs> so right now, that's just three Republican senators out of the four that would be needed for this to pass in the Senate. Right. They say they're all uh, on board, that they're going to vote against Trump in this case, which in and of itself would be unusual. But there, uh, one more is needed to uh, pass the measure in the Senate and therefore both houses, which... In any event, the White House has said they will veto. Now, whether there are enough members to overcome such a veto in either house remains to be seen. That seems a long shot at best. But all of this, uh, Congress uh, refusing the money to Donald Trump in the first place just now, just a week or two ago in their uh, in their spending bill, turning him down there, the uh, top uh, military guy saying there's no threat, all of these uh, national... Um, uh, security folks saying there is no threat. All of these former Republicans saying there is no threat, no emergency. All of that, I suspect, will be useful in court once this. Uh, well, it's already in court. There's already several cases moving forward, uh, including one that we uh, talked about here on the show about a week ago. Uh, With Allison Zeev of Public Citizen. You. Yes. So, you know, I, I think anybody who looks at this should turn it down in court. But the U.S. Supreme Court, that's a different matter. And in fact, if the U.S. Supreme Court and the right wingers on there now who, who claim to be originalists and textualists, meaning they want to go by exactly what the written written word is in any particular legislation or constitutional matter. Well, they would actually have the ability, I think. Despite what Allison Zeev had uh, told us a week or so ago, I think they would actually have the ability, the ability to say, well, you guys, Congress, didn't define what an emergency is. Mm. 
And therefore, you said the president may declare an emergency. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if this comes down to a five to four vote in the U.S. Supreme Court in favor of Donald Trump, even if uh, lower courts end up turning him down. So uh, that's all ahead. And uh, by the way, because when I asked Allison Zevi, as you recall, well, what will her defense be? In that case. Yeah. And she basically said, well, the defense is your own eyes. Obviously, this isn't an emergency. Right. But this is a Republican Supreme Court that we're talking about. They will say that this is an emergency because the president says it's an emergency and there is no definition in the law about what does or doesn't constitute a uh, declarable presidential national emergency. Yeah. All right. So we're watching that story, of course. And at the same time, a House committee, now that the Democrats are finally in charge, is holding hearings on the administration's cruel and inhumane family separation policy at that southern border. As news reports charge today that many of the children, in fact, thousands held in detention, say that they were sexually abused during that uh, during that detention. Uh, over the past four years. Also, at the same time, the president's former personal lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohn, is testifying before the Senate Intelligence Committee behind closed doors on Tuesday. And again, in a closed session on Thursday before the House Intelligence Committee. But on Wednesday, he's giving uh, wildly and widely anticipated uh, testimony in open session before the House Oversight Committee. Cohen, according to reports today, is expected to testify to Congress on Wednesday about uh, Donald Trump's criminal conduct, not just before he became president, not just during the transition, not just during the campaign, but actually while he has been in office, reportedly. Among other things, he will also uh, detail the hush money payments that he says Donald Trump directed just before the election to keep two women quiet about affairs that he had with him. That would be a campaign finance criminal conspiracy for which Michael Cohn has already pled, uh, pleaded guilty to in advance of uh, him heading to uh, heading to prison uh, shortly in just a month or two. He's been sentenced to uh, three years in prison. That starts in a couple of months. Cohn is also expected to detail Trump's use of racist language over the years and lying about his personal wealth. Now, most troubling, I suspect, for Donald Trump, never mind taking Michael Cohn's word for uh, for this stuff Cohn's attorney says that they plan to bring documentation to support Michael Cohn's claims on on these various issues which everyone will then be able to see in support of these claims at least according to Cohn's attorney and that's important since the White House is already smearing Cohn as a liar given that he did plead guilty to in fact lying to Congress in the past uh, but lying now to Congress would only increase his prison time, uh, potentially. So why would he do that, uh, particularly when telling the truth and offering document uh, documentation to corroborate it would potentially decrease his prison time, potentially. And just uh, because this is so sleazy, Desi, uh, you brought this to my attention. <laughs> Yeah. And perhaps, by the way, this is criminal as well, according to experts. I, I need to mention this. One of tops, uh, Trump's top defenders, apologists, 
colluders, if you will, in the U.S. House. A uh, really sleazy congressman by the name of Matt Gates. He's a Republican from Florida's 1st District. Please run this. Please primary this guy. Run this guy out of the House. Whatever you have to do in 2020, that is, if he is not in jail by then. Any, in any event, uh, Gates tweeted today on the eve of Cohen's opening testimony on Wednesday. This is just about within the past hour or so. Matt Gates, congressman from Florida, tweets, Hey, Michael Cohen. Do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. That is a sitting congressman on Twitter, yes, threatening a witness before Congress. Brian Butler of Crooked Media responded to Gates uh, to say, uh, quote, it's hard to out-sleaze Cohen, but congrats. But it is not just sleaze. It could be criminal witness tampering and intimidation. Members of Congress have certain immunity for what they say on the floor of the House in the course of their work while it's in session or in the course of you know their jobs overall. But this is not part of his job to threaten someone on Twitter on, by the way, his personal account. I don't think this is his uh, his congressional account. Well, even if it is, I don't think Twitter is considered a platform on which he would be able to make such threats and be immune Uh, under that same statute. We will see. Walter Schaub, the uh, former chief ethics official at the Office of Government Ethics, uh, he responded to Matt Gates to cite a number of sections of the U.S. criminal code that Gates may have violated with that comment. But uh, wow. We may have some other stories today on some uh, even more desperate idiots, if that's (laughs) possible. I don't know. I do know that a fish rots from the head down, however. And uh, the fish head right now, the rotting fish head, is Donald Trump. He has also threatened Cohen's family members uh, in his responses uh, to Cohen on Twitter and on Fox News in his own attempt to obstruct justice. And uh, arguably to tamper with witness. And all of this is happening at the same time while that rotten fish head Donald Trump is away uh, overseas and likely to strike some deal, pretend or otherwise, with North Korea in order to declare victory in his meeting with Kim in Hanoi to distract from all of this, even as he is reportedly planning to stay awake overnight to watch the Michael Cohen hearings on television overnight overseas. So, you know, he will be his uh, his sharpest in those meetings with uh, with nuclear armed North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Right. Oh, goody. The only thing more incoherent is a well uh, than a well-rested Donald Trump is a Donald Trump that has been up all night being furious about what is being testified against him under oath. And, of course, there's uh, so much more all at the same time, uh, including some that is getting much less coverage thanks to all of the above. So I want to try to hit some of it, including uh, at the same time, uh, Desi Doyen, your Green News report. Yes. uh, Several important stories, including this newly emerging and frankly, very encouraging protest movement across the globe by children who are demanding action on climate change, uh, frankly, since they are going to be the ones to pay the price for our generation's obscene failure to do much, if anything at all, about it. 
and uh, about the world that those kids will now be forced to inherit from us because we're greedy, selfish jerks. Just saying. But we've now got uh, some at the same time breaking news out of, once again, yes, North Carolina. On that overturned U.S. House election from last year where the Republican candidate Mark Harris Uh, His campaign was caught carrying out a massive GOP absentee ballot fraud scheme that essentially stole the election from the Democrat Dan McCready by 905 votes last November. But that race, thankfully, was never certified by the state elections board because of this uh, fraud scheme that uh, began to reveal itself. And last week, the state board of elections voted unanimously to hold uh, a new election due to that fraud and the revelation that Mark Harris, the candidate, was at least partially aware of the scam, if not even more aware of the scam than he has been willing to admit so far. Yesterday, we told you that the Democrat McCready announced the day after the 5-0 bipartisan vote of the State Board of Elections last week, late last week, to hold a new election, that uh, McCready announced that he was planning on running and and considering challenging the need for another primary election at all. Since that might happen and it might result in a different Republican candidate who who was not tainted by this fraud scheme, getting a shot at running when uh, essentially a second bite at winning the ninth congressional district U.S. House race, even though the original Republican candidate who ran tried to steal it. Uh, So McCready said he was running, but as of yesterday, there was no word on whether the disgraced Mark Harris was uh, going to try and run again at all. And this afternoon now we do have a decision from that disgraced Republican candidate, Mark Harris. He announced on Tuesday that he will not run in the newly ordered do-over election, saying that uh, he needs surgery late next month, according to AP. In a uh, statement, Mark Harris said that he's skipping the upcoming do-over in North Carolina's 9th District for health reasons. In the statement, he said, quote, Given my health situation, the need to regain full strength and the timing of the surgery the last week of March, I have decided not to file in the new election for Congressional District 9. Now, He did not mention the uh, Republican election absentee ballot election fraud scandal in his Facebook statement. For some reason, that didn't come up in his statement. He had other things to talk about, nor did he mention the potential criminal charges that he may very well be soon facing, as we detailed on yesterday's broadcast. Uh, Last week, Harris stopped the state elections board hearing into this uh, matter, into the fraud, by declaring that he couldn't continue to testify. He he cited health problems that were caused by a blood infection. He claims required hospitalization and resulted in two strokes in recent weeks over the months since this uh, case has been investigated following the uh, November election last year. And he described what his attorneys, in any event, described as memory problems that he had on the stand when he was testifying all about all of this last week. Memory problems, which apparently are the reason that he lied to investigators about this fraud scheme. 
Uh, it was just because he, he couldn't remember it properly. It was just memory problems. That's all. He wasn't lying. It wasn't perjury. He also said at the end of the testimony, just before he shocked everyone and walked off the stand, uh, he, he agreed after largely being a f- forced to do so, thanks to testimony at the hearing by his own son against against him, uh, that a uh, that a new election should, in fact, be called. And then he got up and he walked out of the room. Now, a date for the new election has not been announced, but we know that McCready is in. We know that Harris is out uh, without the date actually announced. It's unclear to me, at least, uh, why whatever surgery he's having at the end of next month, why that would necessarily even conflict with his ability to run. Because we don't know when the election is going to be. But uh, as we know, Harris, uh, a longtime evangelical minister, is like the president of the United States who endorsed and campaigned for him last year in, in North Carolina, a uh, congenital liar. They both are. In, uh, in Harris's statement, he threw his support behind uh, Union County Commissioner Stoney Rushing, in this race, uh, and and thus, if uh, there really is a god, uh, he has hopefully now tainted Stony Rush's Rushing's record as well with that endorsement. He says Rushing has quote proven uh, that his record has proven him to stand firm on so many of the issues that concern us, including the issue of life, our national security, and religious freedom. Has he said anything about election fraud? Just asking for a friend. Uh, Yesterday, we also noted that Matthew Ridenour, former Mecklenburg County Commissioner, said that he is also very interested in entering this race on the Republican side. Uh, According to Washington Post today, former Republican North Carolina Governor Matt McCrory. Pat McCrory? I'm sorry. Pat McCrory was actually thinking of running. Oh, my seat. God. Uh, he has, however, as of uh, today, ruled out running for that seat. He had hinted on Twitter over the weekend that he might enter the race. But now he said uh, on his radio show, yes, failed Republican governors get radio shows as long as they're Republican. I believe Scott Walker in Wisconsin now has uh, has one as well. Uh, in any event, McCrory said on his radio show that he uh, would look instead at running again for governor or U.S. senator down the line in 2022. We can all look forward to that. So, yeah, uh, finally, uh, North Carolina Republican Party chair Robin Hayes expressed support for Harris's decision to not run. Yeah, I bet he uh, I bet he supported that, saying the most important thing for him to address is his health. Uh, This has uh, uh, Hayes said this has been a grueling process for all involved, and we unequivocally support his call for a new election, which, as I note, he only made when he was caught absolutely lying on the witness stand, as even his own lawyer was forced to admit. Uh, And do keep in mind, by the way, that the state GOP in North Carolina had defended Harris all the way to the bitter end last week, demanding and they even sued in court for Harris to be seated, for him to be certified and allowed to serve in Congress, despite all of the evidence of fraud in his election. You know, by a contractor who did the very same thing in the primary election last year as well that resulted in a sitting congressman, Republican congressman, the incumbent being unseated and 
this same fraud scheme went on back in 2016 and everybody knew about it then. But the Republicans did absolutely nothing. So please keep that in mind, North Carolina, whenever this election uh, does get held, this redo election. So uh, what we know uh, now, at the very least, is that Republicans, presumably uh, represented by some new candidate, will in fact enjoy a second bite at the apple whenever this new election is held. Uh, if they're allowed to nominate a non-disgraced Republican candidate for the election, if they can find one in North Carolina at this point. Our friend, uh, writer uh, D.R. Tucker, emails me today to quip about Harris dropping out. Uh, quote, as the old joke goes here, of course he's not running again because of health issues. The voters are sick of him. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was a, a somewhat related ish and a, frankly, very big story out of North Carolina last week that I'd hoped to get to yesterday when covering all of this before I ran out of time. So let me correct that failure today. As David Neer at Daily Coast summarized this on Friday in an astonishing ruling late in the day at the end of the week last Friday, a North Carolina state court struck down two struck down two constitutional amendments that were passed by voters last November. Yes, in that same 2018 election where uh, there was that fraud in the 9th Congressional District. Anyway, in any event, they passed two constitutional amendments, but those have now, for the moment, been struck down by this state court, the state judge, finding that because the Republican-run legislature in North Carolina had been elected, after what the U.S. Supreme Court had confirmed to be an unconstitutional racial gerrymander that the uh, legislature had, quote, lost its claim to popular sovereignty. And therefore, they are not empowered to place constitutional amendments on the ballot for voters to approve or not in the first place. This is kind of amazing. It's kind of an amazing ruling. Um, the, the amendments concerned uh, two very different topics. One established a new photo ID voting restriction requirement at the polls in North Carolina. You will recall that Republicans in the state legislature had tried over and over again uh, over the past many years uh, to implement such a proposal, such a restriction on voters which the uh, state had found, state courts and federal courts had found over and again uh, were either unlawful or unconstitutional under the state constitution. So Republicans just decided to use their supermajority. Their falsely gained supermajority, according to this ruling. In the state house uh, to just change the constitution by putting a measure on the ballot to enact these disenfranchising photo ID voting restrictions. And bypassing the court's ability to Correct. stop them, which the court had been trying to do. The other measure, uh, the, this constitutional measure, uh, had lowered the cap on the state's maximum allowed income tax. Yes, there is apparently a, uh, a maximum income tax rate in the Constitution in North Carolina, and it has now been lowered, or it had been, by voters who approved this uh, measure after it was placed on on the ballot by lawmakers last November. But now both me uh, measures, uh, as the court noted, harm black and Latino voters 
this uh, judge found this in a case that was brought by the NAACP with the uh, latter, the Latino voters, um, doing so because it uh, tends to favor white. I'm sorry, with NAACP uh, challenging because it, uh, the uh, these measures, quote, tend to favor white households and would, quote, reinforce the accumulation of wealth for white taxpayers. Voters approved both of these measures by double-digit margins, and that is not why the uh, court struck it down. It struck it down because essentially it was saying this legislature is not legitimate, as uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has confirmed, and therefore they don't have the right to put a, a, a measure on the ballot. Now, uh, for a constitutional amendment, which requires, uh, I think it's a two thirds majority of the uh, of both houses of the uh, state uh, legislature to get this on the uh, on the ballot. Now, uh, David Neer notes that the ruling is very unusual to uh, strike down a ballot measure placed on it by the legislature and then adopted by the voters. But it is not entirely unique. He says in 1964, a federal court in Connecticut stopped the uh, state legislature, uh, which had been elected using unconstitutional districts back then as well, stopped them from passing any laws at all, much less constitutional amendments, until it had reconstituted itself under new maps. Now, in the North Carolina case, the court limited its holding to only uh, constitutional amendments because they are uh, unique and distinct from the requirements to enact other legislation. Uh, it's much easier, in other words, to overturn a law by this um, unconstitutional uh, legislature. It's, it's easy to over, easier to overturn a law than it would be to overturn a constitutional amendment. We will see if this thing stands. A lot of legal experts are dubious about it. Election law expert Rick Hassan said it's not at all clear whether this uh, ruling will hold up or not. Uh, but if it uh, if it does, uh, it will finally re uh, force Republicans to pay a price for their relentless gerrymandering and maybe open up an entirely new avenue to challenges uh, to actions of tainted legislatures elsewhere, David Neer notes. Uh, Ian Milheiser, writing about this same thing, however, notes that uh, it, all of this shows that, you know what? Uh, all you got to do is uh, gerrymander unlawfully, unconstitutionally, gerrymander your districts. Even in a worst case scenario, you're probably going to get an election or two, if not more. I mean, we're looking at some of these uh, state legislatures who, who redistricted unconstitutionally after the 2010 census and have had tainted elections like this uh, year after year, 2012, 2014, 2016, 2018, and very likely in several places yet again in 2020. So five full uh, congressional cycles under these tainted uh, maps. It just goes to show you, put them in, uh, even if you know they violate the Constitution or the law, and, hey, you'll have a, a few elections where you get to do whatever you want because it takes that long for the courts to catch up, which, by the way, that was the beauty and the importance of the Voting Rights Act before it uh, was gutted by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, 
before it was you know, gutted this revolutionary and important aspect, the central aspect, Section 5, preclearance of the Voting Rights Act. That required approval of new voting-related laws before they were enacted during an election to prevent the damage from happening that then you could not go back and fix you can't go back in time and fix the damage that was done while it was wending its way through litigation right and and that's why uh when it comes to elections uh you know laws before they take place are so important uh that they are enforced Uh, but they weren't here and so uh north carolina has been uh getting away with Well, I don't want to say murder, but they've been getting away with all sorts of things over the past decade uh, because they're cheaters, liars and uh, apparently fraudsters. Um, Of course, Republicans know all of that. That's why they have been unwilling over the past six years to correct the Supreme Court ruling that has uh, stopped all preclearance of laws all election-related laws across the country and why they don't even want to talk about fixing it. Because they would be held accountable and the lying, cheating, stealing and fraud would at least somewhat have to stop. All right. Quick break. And we're back with more lying, cheating, fraud and whatever. Uh, Right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And uh, over the break, during the break, uh, my New York Times has not even opened here yet. But (laughs) the uh, alert headline is that, in fact, Democrats in the U.S. House have, in fact, passed the resolution blocking Donald Trump's so-called national emergency. They say a handful of uh, of Republicans join them in the House. How many, uh, how large that handful is, I can't tell you because the New York Times app is still trying to open up as we uh, as we speak. So uh, as I mentioned in the previous segment, the measure will now go to the U.S. Senate. There's 18 days uh, that Mitch McConnell has to uh, hold a vote on this where it could pass as well. Currently, they are one vote shy of a majority uh, passage in the U.S. Senate in both cases, however, overriding a uh, a presidential veto, as he has promised, as Donald Trump has promised, uh, will not be easy. So. Uh, there's and can a, we just note that news. this yeah. is the first time in history that Congress has voted to try to rescind a national emergency? That's true. That's true. No other president has had to uh, face this shame and ignominy until Donald Trump. And it would also be, by the way, if he vetoes it, I believe his first veto uh, ever in yes. his uh, first two years when he only got, uh, you know, stuff coming out of Congress that Republicans had approved. Uh, now, Mitch McConnell, who would normally not even hold a vote on this, has no choice but to do so in uh, in uh, 18 days. 
That'll be fun. Uh, all right. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, how desperate the powers that be must be getting at this point in this country, uh, whether it's to, you know, help distract from everything else that's going on or to threaten a, a witness at a congressional hearing, as Congressman Matt Gates did, as we told you uh, earlier in the previous segment, whether it's Mitch McConnell not even allowing certain things to come up for a vote because he knows they may pass. Because he knows that the uh, the representatives of the people in the U.S. Senate, that a majority of them would like this thing to happen. Um, it, there's just this desperation right now of, uh, you know, people who are apparently desperate enough that we're now seeing children, children around the country threatened, uh, threatened, arrested and threatened with arrest. Because our, I guess, our national character has just become so corrupt as the fish rots from the head down. This uh, from just over a week ago. I've been trying to get to the story. A student at the Lawton Childs Middle Academy in Lakeland, Florida, was arrested after he refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. This uh, incident began after a substitute teacher asked the 11-year-old to stand during the pledge, and he refused, explaining that he thought the U.S. flag was racist. The substitute teacher then apparently got into a contentious argument with the boy, again, an 11-year-old boy, and asked uh, why if it was so bad, this is, uh, this is according to a statement from the teacher that uh, was given to the, um, to the district on this matter, uh, she asked why if it was so bad here did not he, why did he not go to another place to live if you don't like it get out 11 year old uh, the boy said they brought me here the teacher apparently then thought that the best course of action was to continue arguing with the 11 year old uh, she said well you can always go back she said, I came here from Cuba, and the day I feel I'm not welcome here anymore, I would find another place to live. Of course, the boy didn't say he didn't feel welcome here. The teacher decided to escalate the issue at that point, quote, because I did not want to continue dealing with him. The boy was then arrested, arrested after he refused to follow multiple commands, repeatedly uh, called school leaders racist, and according to Bay News 9, was disruptive. He said, suspend me. I don't care. This school is racist. The student who is black told the dean um, that uh, he didn't care if he was suspended as he walked out of the classroom with his backpack, according to the affidavit. He was ultimately charged with disruption of a school facility he and resisting. Charged. Yes. And resisting an officer without violence, according to The Washington Post. Uh, the ACLU of Florida issued a rebuke in the wake of the controversy, said this is outrageous. Students do not lose their First Amendment rights when they uh, enter the schoolhouse gates. This is a prime example of over-policing of black students in school. A spokesman for Polk County Public Schools insisted, insisted that the 11-year-old was arrested after becoming disruptive and refusing to follow repeated instructions by school staff and law enforcement, not for his refusal to stand for the pledge. Uh, he said that students are not required to participate in the Pledge, pledge of Allegiance, although the apparently the substitute teacher, he said, did not know that. 
according to the school, ha- the district handbook, students can, in fact, opt out of reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, quote, upon written authorization from a parent. So you have to get your you have to get permission from a parent, apparently, in Florida to not stand for the uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, in fact, the Supreme Court ruled in 1943 in West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett that schools cannot require students to salute the flag or recite the pledge due to First Amendment rights. The substitute teacher, uh, here's some good news, that substitute teacher will reportedly not be allowed to work at any of the district schools after this incident. <laughs> That's good. Yes. Uh, she was wrong. She was way out of place, said the student's mother. If she felt like there was an issue with my son not standing for the flag, she should have resolved that in a different manner than she did. Then one that, yes, ended up in her 11-year-old son being arrested and charged. She said she's upset and angry. I'm hurt more for my, for my son. He has never been through anything like this. In 2017, a black student was expelled from her Houston high school uh, in in Texas uh, for refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, The silent protest prompted a long legal battle in federal court with the teen's family accusing the school of violating her free speech rights. Last year, the Texas attorney general intervened and defend a state law requiring students to recite the pledge. Wow. I didn't realize you could be compelled to speak. You can't. That's the thing. Texas apparently doesn't give a damn uh, in this case. Uh, perhaps if that if that woman in uh, Houston had said she was doing it for religious liberty reasons, then, then Texas might have allowed it. Uh, things are not much better in Arizona, apparently. An Arizona law enforcement official has reportedly been disciplined after being caught on camera threatening to arrest a 12-year-old, not just any 12-year-old, but a 12-year-old reporter last week. That's right, a 12-year-old journalist was threatened with arrest on camera by an Arizona law enforcement official. Now, this girl, we had tried to get her on the show about three years ago, Des. Do you remember this <laughs> yes. uh, woman? When she was back when she was nine, I yep. called her a woman. This kid, this child, uh, she had, uh, and I guess still does, uh, have a, a, a newspaper, actually a media website, uh, that where she writes uh, that is called the Orange Street News because that's the street that she lives on in Pennsylvania. This all took place in Arizona. I'll explain in a second, but that's where her she uh, 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 made her uh, made her bones as a as a uh, as, as a, a journalist, journalist as a nine year old journalist. Yeah, and we tried to get her on the show three years ago, and we couldn't probably because she had to go to school um, because the Orange Street News, her she her media outlet actually broke the story of a murder that took place in her neighborhood. Remember that? Oh yes. She uh, was uh, she was the first to report about this murder that was near her house. Anyway, her name is Hilda Lysiak, and she is still a young journalist. Three years later, she publishes the Orange Street News out of her parents' home in uh, Sellins Grove, Pennsylvania. She's now a preteen at 12 years old. Uh, she was in small, the small town of Patagonia, Arizona last week, and she was confronted and essentially threatened by a, uh, Joseph Patterson, the town marshal. 
according to the Washington Post. And being a smart young reporter, she was clever enough to go uh, find Mr. Patterson and turn on her video camera and catch this town marshal basically both threatening and lying to her on camera. She caught the official whose position as town marshal is essentially equivalent of police chief in Patagonia, Arizona, falsely claiming that it was illegal for her to film him and publish his face online. But it is not. He was lying. And Patterson had allegedly threatened to throw her in juvenile jail before she started filming. Here's some of of that video that went viral late last week and over the weekend with 12-year-old Hilda Lysiak speaking to Patagonia, Arizona, town marshal slash sheriff Joseph Patterson after she went back to Patterson with her camera on to get him on the record. She's my new hero. You stopped me earlier and you said that I could be thrown in juvie. What exactly am I doing that's illegal? So, when I left the office, you were over there talking and you quickly... You taping me? You can tape me. Okay. Okay? Yeah, she's taping you. What I'm going to tell you is if you put my face on the internet, it's against the law. Liar. Okay? So I'm not giving you permission to use my picture or my face on the internet. Okay. Understand all that? I understand okay. that. So when you saw us leave, you quickly left the boy that you were with, and you followed us down to 320 Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. And when we came back out, because we had to go somewhere else for an urgent call, okay. you followed me again. Yeah, and how right? is that illegal? So don't follow yeah, law enforcement, because you already came in and told me you were a reporter. Yeah, and I, and I don't want you to get hurt. I understand. I'm looking out for your safety. Oh, are you? Okay. Are you looking out for her the safety? The area you were in is where we're dealing with the mountain lion. The mountain lion? Yeah. Mountain Okay. And okay. All right, but what exactly? I understand that you're concerned about the safety. But what so exactly am I doing? Order. I gave you a lawful order. And if you disobey a law enforcement officer, you can lie to your mother, you can lie to your father, you can lie to your priest. You can't lie to a law enforcement officer. You understand that? So actually lying to me and saying you were going to your friend's house wasn't acceptable. No, I didn't say that. And you actually lied. My friend lives right there. If you want, you can knock on her door and ask her. But when you saw us leave, you turned around and you didn't even make it to your friend's house. You were seeing where we were going. Yeah, I wasn't going to my friend. Well, thank you very much. You have a great day. I'll be getting a hold of your parents. Okay. Thank you. Once again, that was Patagonia, Arizona town marshal Joseph Patterson lying to a 12 year old girl, a 12 year old reporter that it is illegal to uh, put his face on the Internet, which, by the way, she did put his face on the Internet. Way to go, uh, Hildy. Hildy Lysiak. Go, Hildy. The uh, town of Patagonia posted on its website last week that it has received numerous comments concerning this interaction. They say they, re- they have carefully reviewed it and have taken appropriate action for this situation, but they do not disclose publicly uh, personnel actions, including discipline, and will have no further comment on this matter. Oh, I suspect they don't. Uh, Hildy, by the way, was it's unclear why she was in Patagonia, but uh, she had been interviewing local residents on border security in Arizona. She's a go getter. This 12 year old. Uh, And she was uh, she wrote on her news site that she was riding on her bike to a news tip 
About 1.30 uh, p.m. last week when Patterson stopped and asked her for ID. She's on her bike writing to a news uh, to, for following up a news tip and asked for ID. She identified herself as a member of the media. And um, Patterson reportedly said that he didn't, quote, want to hear about any of that freedom of the press stuff. <laughs> And said, I can have you arrested. Do you understand? And then, of course, uh, he responded that she was disobeying his command uh, before they the two ran into each other later on. Uh, as a matter of fact, that uh, story that mentioned the mountain lion, Hildy Lysiak actually broke that story herself on February 14th. Uh, she posted this video on YouTube. There was uh, tens of thousands of videos as of the end of last week. Uh, her father is also a journalist, but she's made her own name uh, and has now apparently inspired a scholastic book series. Oh, good. And an upcoming TV show, which is very cool indeed. No wonder we couldn't get her on this show. She's too hot for us. <laughs> uh, she went viral back in 2016 after uh, breaking that uh, news of that murder in her hometown. Uh, all right. We got to take a break and come back with the uh, Green News Report. Speaking of kids... Uh, standing up for themselves. Uh, Mitch McConnell had, uh, there was about 200 kids who showed up at his office to beg him to sign the Green New Deal yesterday. Uh, about 20 of them were arrested. None of them, however, were under 18 of those who were arrested, but there were some as young as seven. Uh, you may have seen a viral video with Diane Feinstein at her office where the kids also showed up and she talked down to them. Uh, to explain why she would not vote for the Green New Deal. Anyway, kids are standing up, and I'm happy about it. We'll talk more about that in the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com donate. To help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves, you're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever. At bradblog.com donate. Thank you. You know, that Diane Feinstein is uh, pretty awful, but at least she didn't have the children arrested like <laughs> Mitch McConnell did. Instead, she Indeed. just talked down to them, condescended to them and said, no, I'm not voting for your Green New Deal. I'm voting for my own Green New Deal, which is really not a Green New Deal at all. But we'll talk about that maybe uh, on another occasion. Right now, we have to get to our latest Green News report. A climate change skeptic will lead a White House panel to examine climate change. Trump White House to investigate U.S. military's assessment that global warming is a national security threat. The excess that it didn't use always flowed into Pakistan freely. India says that's not going to happen anymore. India curtailing water to Pakistan. Iceberg twice the size of Manhattan set to break off of Antarctica, plus... This is children finding their voice. This is children engaging with global issues. Kids around the world protesting and striking for action on climate change. All of that action and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Like only the Trump administration would find a guy who is pro-carbon dioxide to lead a climate change panel. 
Like, who else is on this panel? A, a farting cow in an actual oil spill? <laughs> they may know more about the topic. This is your Green News Report. Get the f- out of here, man. Okay, Desi Doyen, iceberg straight ahead. (laughs) Yes, indeed. NASA scientists just warned this week that another new massive iceberg, twice the size of New York City, is on the verge of cleaving off of Antarctica, which they say could further destabilize the Brunt ice shelf. Great. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reports that the Trump administration plans to create a special White House committee with a mandate to reassess and scrutinize the science underlining the U.S military's declaration that climate change is a national security threat that affects U.S. national security interests abroad and at home. Emphasis on special White House committee. Special is one way to put it. Notorious climate science denier Dr. William Happer, who has no climate science credentials, will head the panel. (laughs) Here's Happer in 2014 bizarrely trying to defend carbon dioxide emissions. The demonization of carbon dioxide is just like the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. Carbon dioxide is actually a benefit to the world, and so were the Jews. Oh my God, he also had this to say about carbon dioxide. It's just a a complete distortion of the truth to call it a pollutant. It's not a pollutant at all. So he's going to lead Donald Trump's commission on climate change. (laughs) Yes, he is. You know what, Dr. Happer, since carbon dioxide is such a benefit to man... Why don't we shut him into a chamber with nothing more than carbon dioxide and and see if he believes it's a pollutant then? Well, Happer either doesn't know or doesn't care that recent studies have shown that too much carbon dioxide actually stunts the growth of plants that we eat and makes them less nutritious. Doesn't care. The White House's latest move to undermine the conclusions of the U.S. military came one day after security analysts at the Klingendel Institute, a Dutch think tank, published a new report finding climate change is increasingly a driver behind growing insecurity and violence around the world. The report says climate change intensified extreme weather events are exacerbating existing tensions in already volatile regions with more destructive storms, heat waves and drought that are, for example, worsening water shortages in the Middle East. Speaking of water shortages, India announced late last week that it will stop sharing excess water that it doesn't utilize with its regional rival Pakistan in the disputed border territory region of Kashmir, an already parched area facing increasing drought. The announcement came just days after a Kashmir separatist group launched a deadly attack on an Indian security detail. India also announced it is constructing a new dam on a crucial river in Kashmir that will also further curtail Pakistan water supplies. Let the water wars continue. Well, both nations possess nuclear weapons. Oh, fun. Finally, U.S. kids are pressuring their legislators to act on climate change, but in Europe... Over the last month, kids across Europe have been skipping school and marching to pressure their governments to act more swiftly on climate change, inspired by the school strike of Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg. March 15th is set to be a global day of kids' climate marches around the world. On Australia's Sky News, State Education Minister Rob Stokes was unclear on the concept of protest. Kids should be at school. It's very, very straightforward. And there's a March 15th is a Friday. 
uh, by all means, if you want to go and protest about whatever it is, uh, you've got the weekend to do it. Well, they wouldn't really notice them if they went in on a Saturday or a Sunday, would they? The reason they're noticing them is because they're striking from school and showing up to these protests. And we're beginning to see this here in Washington, D.C., with uh, kids showing up in senator's office, begging them to sign the Green New Deal. I'm happy to see that. Yep. And UK teen Zoe Bennett agrees with you. It's incredibly important for our generation to be heard about climate change because it's our future. It certainly is. Keep up the good work, Zoe. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yes, they are. <laughs> Indeed. They, I hope the kids will save us. They're the only ones who will at this point from the way things are going. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our yep. producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Though we do thank those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate while you're there. To help Desi and me continue to do what we've tried to do for 10 years on the Green News Report, for 15 years at bradblog.com, and I don't know how many years over your public airwaves, thanks only due to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do there as well. And until we meet again tomorrow, as Michael Cohn testifies, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.